Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, greetings to all those who are watching from different venues here at Central Campus, as well as those who are tuning in online. You know, if there is a Sunday in the year that I don't have to worry about putting people to sleep when I'm speaking, it is this one. Because you got your extra hour of sleep, and I get to preach a long sermon. It's a deal. <laughs> I'm continuing my series of messages on the theme of faith. If you remember my last two sermons, I spoke about the power of unbelief as expressed in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. And the power of faith, as demonstrated by the Roman centurion, in his grasp of Jesus' authority. I'm praying that uh, in this season of our life as a church, the Lord will use these messages to stir our hearts and cause our faith to arise. Faith is very important in the Christian life. The Apostle Paul put it very well when he said, we walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, that's a great summary of the Christian life. Our walk of faith is based on unseen realities. A normal human being walks by sight. We measure reality by sight. But the spiritual walk is all about the unseen. And this unseen realm is more real than the visible realm. And that's why God desires that we Keep walking by faith and not by sight. When I was a teenager in India, I once won two free movie tickets for a special screening of this film by Steven Spielberg called Twister. We were not allowed to have girlfriends in that culture, so what do you do with an extra movie ticket? Um, I was a good boy, so I decided to go with my dad. And the movie is about a group of uh, storm chasers who are developing to work on an advanced alert system for tornadoes. So the characters in the movie chase after storms. They look around for tornadoes so they can set up this new equipment and try out this invention. With computer-generated graphics, uh, cutting-edge sound, and other special effects, The movie gave the audience a feel of what it means to be in the midst of a tornado. One thing I know, it is much safer to watch tornadoes from a movie theater than in real life. But the storms of life do not give us that privilege of being sheltered. In fact, life storms hit us without warning. It will be nice to have an advanced alert system that will notify us when the storms are going to arrive but they often catch us off guard. A sudden sickness, an unexpected accident, an unforeseen job loss, an unpredictable outcome, they all seem to come out of nowhere at the least expected time. And while we may have storm chasers who run after tornadoes for the sake of thrill or adventure, I don't think there will be anyone who want to run after the Storms of life. In fact, it's the other way around. It's the storms of life that chase after us. Anyone can claim they have strong faith 
But the test of faith is when the wind is contrary. The waves are raging. Everything around you is dark, and you are caught in the middle of a storm. Those stormy moments reveal our faith. And God, in amazing ways, uses these difficult moments in our life to build our confidence and trust in Him. I tell you, there is nothing that thrills God's heart more than seeing His children place their trust in Him. And that is why He uses the storms of life to build our faith muscles. We're going to look at a well-known passage of Scripture today where Jesus deliberately sent His disciples into a storm because He wanted their faith to arise. Would you please stand as we read our text for today from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of Him to the other side while He dismissed the crowd. After He had dismissed them, He went up on a mountainside by Himself to pray. Later that night, He was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father God, we gather in one accord this morning, and we worship the Lord Jesus, and we confess that he is the Son of God. He is the Lord of the storms of our life. I pray for every one of us here, and especially for those who are going through personal storms, that you will personalize this message, that you will fill our hearts with hope, that you will open our eyes to be able to see you just as you are, as the risen Savior who is high and exalted. So we invite uh, your presence in this place. Minister to us, Lord, in the power of your Spirit. For we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The great devotional writer, Oswald Chambers, wrote these words in his uh, classic, My Utmost for His Highest. A Christian's life is in the hands of God like a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. 
God is aiming at something the Christian cannot see, and he stretches and strains. And every now and again, the Christian says, I cannot stand anymore. God does not heed. He goes on stretching till his purpose is in sight. Then he lets fly. Those are powerful words. The feeling of being stretched is not very pleasant, but it's essential for growth. A rubber band is no good unless it's being stretched. So it is with our faith. It will never come to its full potential unless it's being stretched. And God works behind the scenes of our life, and He allows circumstances that stretch us and strain us. And in those moments, we wonder, what is happening? For we don't have any clue. But God knows exactly what He is doing. He has a purpose in sight. It is uncomfortable, but necessary in order to accelerate our spiritual growth. If there's any consolation, just know that God will bend us, but not break us. As we look at the context of Matthew chapter 14, you will see that Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two small fish. It was a miraculous multiplication of food that impressed the crowd so much that John's gospel tells us the crowd wanted to make Jesus king by force. And it's right after this incident we find the story of Jesus walking on water in the middle of a storm. Our passage begins with these words in Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So the crowd got excited by the miracle of uh, multiplication of food and wanted Jesus to be their political leader. But Jesus did not want any part in that celebration because he did not come to launch an earthly kingdom. Therefore, he dismissed the crowd and he commanded the disciples to get onto the boat and go to the other side. And what is fascinating here is the phrase, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. In the original language, that would imply that there's a use of force or someone is being compelled to do something they don't want to do. It was late in the evening, the disciples were tired, they've had a long day, and I don't think they were very eager to go across the lake at this time in the evening. But Jesus did not give them a choice. He made them sail ahead of him to the other side towards Capernaum. So that tells us Jesus designed or orchestrated this entire episode because he had a clear purpose in mind that was unknown to the disciples. This was going to be a stretching experience that will grow their faith. The Sea of Galilee is actually a large freshwater lake, about 13 miles long, about 7 miles wide, and 150 feet deep, and surrounded by mountains. So the geographic location of the Sea of Galilee made it susceptible to sudden, violent storms. 
And when a storm hits the Sea of Galilee, the waves could go over 10 feet tall and the sea would turn treacherous. So the disciples proceeded that evening on this seven-mile journey to Capernaum, a journey which shouldn't have taken them much time considering the fact that they were expert fishermen. But soon, the wind started blowing hard. And it was blowing in the opposite direction, and they were rowing against it. And then the waves started pounding. And before they knew, a furious storm was going to be unleashed when they were right in the middle of the lake. The boat was under severe distress, and the word Matthew uses there to describe the waves battering the boat literally means the boat was being tortured by the waves. The disciples had done what the Lord had asked them to do. It was not their idea to sail across the sea that late in the evening. They were merely complying with Jesus' command. You see, there are some storms of life we face because of our disobedience. Ask Jonah, he will tell you all about it. But there are other storms we face in life precisely because of our obedience to Jesus, as in the case of the disciples. You can be right where the Lord wants you to be, smack dab in the middle of God's will for your life, and still experience a storm. Because the Lord is about to stretch your faith through the sifting experience. The disciples had experienced a similar storm in Matthew chapter 8, but the difference was Jesus was in the boat with them at the time. But this time, he was not there. He had left them to fend for themselves. So from the point of view of the disciples, Jesus was not in the boat with them. His absence was conspicuous, and it was unnerving to them. But that was only from their limited human perspective. But from heaven's perspective, Jesus fully knew what the disciples were experiencing. Mark's gospel gives us a parallel account of the same storm, and we find in Mark chapter 6, verses 47 and 48, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. So Jesus was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. The disciples had rowed about three and a half miles from shore. So it was not possible for Jesus to see them with his physical eyes from the land, but Jesus knew their struggles because of his divine knowledge. Here's an encouragement for us. When we go through difficulties in life, People may be unaware of what we are going through. We may even wear a mask and appear that everything is normal. And even the ones closest to us may not know what we are experiencing, but if there is any comfort, know that God knows what you are going through. He is not unaware of your situation or your circumstance. What you are experiencing is no secret to Jesus. He sees your heart and he is deeply involved in your life. Jesus fully knew the great distress that the disciples were in, but he did not come to their rescue immediately. It's 
interesting that you see the word immediately is used three times in our small passage. Jesus does several things immediately in the story, but one thing he wasn't going to do was to save them immediately from the storm. The storm will rage until the disciples were fully stretched, beyond what is comfortable. In fact, it was agonizing because the archer had the bow in his hand and he was bending it for a purpose before he let it fly. Many hours later, Jesus came to the disciples in the middle of the sea at a time and in a manner the disciples would have never expected. Look at verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. The disciples had rowed all night. They'd started off on the evening of the previous day they had rode for hours. It was the fourth watch of the night, anywhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning when Jesus appeared to them. And such was the intensity of the storm that they had barely covered three miles in spite of all their collective efforts. They struggled for over eight hours, clinging to dear life in the open sea. And by this time, the disciples had given up all hope. Who was going to save them at 3 a.m. in the morning? Their expectations were so low that even though they saw Jesus walking on water, they were terrified because they thought it was a ghost. In their mind, it was unlikely anyone could reach them in that storm in the middle of the sea. And do you see that Jesus came just before dawn, at the darkest time of the day, when they were stranded in the middle of nowhere, devoid of any strength and totally hopeless. Now, I learned this lesson from personal life experiences. Sometimes God delays his help until we have exhausted all our resources and options. But he shows up in the most unexpected way and in the least expected time. So when the deliverance finally arrives, we know without a shadow of a doubt, this is not mere coincidence, it is the hand of God. So Jesus came, walking on water to the disciples. This is really dramatic. You have to picture this in your mind. In the midst of huge 10 feet waves, such great wind force and pouring rain, you see Jesus walking confidently on water with no effort. And look at what Jesus says to them in verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. The emphasis is on the word I. In fact, it can be translated as I am. Now, does the word I am ring a bell for you? The word construction takes us back to Exodus chapter 3, where the God of Israel revealed his personal name to Moses as I am. And if you look at the context of Exodus 3, 
The Israelites in slavery in Egypt had completely forgotten about God. And Moses asked God this question. If I say the God of your ancestors has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name, what should I tell them? And this was God's response to Moses in Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Go tell them who have forgotten all about me. I am has commissioned me to you. Now the disciples in the midst of a storm were terrified. And they are totally forgotten about Jesus. And Jesus appears to them in that storm. And he says it is I am. Not only was Jesus putting himself on par with Yahweh, he was doing what only Yahweh could do. Now look at Job chapter 9, verses 4 to 8, where you see a description of God's power. For God is so wise and so mighty, who has ever challenged him successfully? Without warning, he moves the mountains overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and its foundations tremble. If he commands it, the sun won't rise and the stars won't shine. He alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. He alone marches on the waves of the sea. Walking on water and tramping over waves are a work of God. It is not a human prerogative. So this stormy sea water, it represents the chaos of our life. The ancient Jewish people feared the ocean because the sea represented everything that is outside of our control. So when Jesus walked on water... He marched on the waves of the sea. He stood triumphant in the midst of the storm to demonstrate to the disciples, it doesn't matter how dark and gloomy it appears out there, he is very much in command and in control. <clears throat> Pastor Charles Price points out this liberating truth. Anything that threatens to be over our head is already under the feet of Jesus. Anything that threatens to be over our head is already under the feet of Jesus. Reflect on that for a moment. Is there anything that you are going through in life that is outside of Jesus' lordship? Whatever circumstances you are going through, Jesus is on top of it. He walks in victory over our trials. He is sovereign over the chaos in our life. He is in command and he is in charge for he is the great I am. You know, that is a powerful visual picture to have in mind every day of your Christian life. Jesus looked at the panic-stricken disciples and he told them, take courage. It is I, I am. Do not be afraid. Jesus merely announced his arrival. He did not still the storm yet. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He first addressed the storms on the inside of the disciples before addressing the external storms. Those internal storms 
panic, anxiety, fear, nervousness, worry, doubts, were raging out of control. And Jesus stilled that storm first with the assurance of his presence. When you come to terms with who God is, there may be storms raging on the outside, but you can be calm and at peace on the inside because you know the dependability and trustworthiness of God. You are never alone, for He is the I Am who is with you always. When Peter understood this truth, that Jesus was in charge of the stormy waters, Peter did something extraordinary. Look at verses 28 and 29. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. I don't think Peter is being presumptuous or impulsive here. You see that Jesus had absolutely no problem with this audacious request. He didn't think it was crazy. In fact, Jesus was thrilled to see Peter's faith arise. And in doing so, he was setting an example for the other disciples. So Jesus invited Peter to join him on the water. Now picture this visually again. A boat being tossed around by waves that were 10 feet tall. It's pitch dark. It's the darkest part of the day. Just feel the force of the wind and the spray of seawater on your faces. This is treacherous condition. And Peter on his part was so exhausted and sleep deprived. Rowing all night, he is just Panic, he's been panicking, not knowing if he would make it. He was cold, wet, fearful, and worn out. Would anyone in this condition want to get out of the boat? To go against the laws of nature? To walk over gigantic, crashing waves? In order for Peter to step out of the boat... He had to fully entrust himself to the care of Jesus, knowing he is reliable. He had to place his entire confidence on God's dependability in the face of adversity. Isn't that faith by definition? It's taking a step in your life where you are completely placing yourself in the care of God with nothing to fall back, no backup plans, no cushion, so that if God doesn't come through, you are doomed. And I tell you, God wants to bring every single one of us to that point in our faith journey where we stop relying on everything else and learn to lean on His everlasting arms. That's what it means to get out of the boat and walk on water. When we truly understand from our heart that Jesus is dependable, we receive the same confidence like Peter to walk on top of our problems that threaten our security. 
Walking on water is a depiction of overcoming our fears and living by faith. We don't know how long Peter walked, but he did what no human being has ever done. But suddenly, Peter realized what he was doing. It was so unexplainable and irrational. No one had done anything like this before. And look what happens in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Just for a moment, Peter's focus shifted from Jesus to the circumstances, to the wind and the waves surrounding him, and he immediately started to sink. It's a simple application for all of us. The only way we can walk by faith is by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Anytime we are obsessed with our problems, the financial storms, the health storms, the relationship storms, instead of being obsessed with Jesus, the problems will have the better of you. But when Peter realized that he was sinking, he cried out. He prayed one of the shortest prayers in the Bible. Lord, save me! You know, if Peter had prayed like some of us preachers pray, long, solemn, high-sounding, eloquent prayers, Peter would have plunged 100 feet under the water even before he got to his request. <laughs> and look at how Jesus responded to Peter's brief prayer. Verse 31, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Aren't you glad that Jesus did not say, Pete, I'm really sorry. I'll save you when your faith gets a little stronger. You failed this time, so better luck. Now, Peter's desperate cry was, a cry of faith, and Jesus intervened. Sometimes we are hard on Peter for his lack of faith, but this entire narrative is not about Peter's faith, but it's about Jesus' faithfulness. Peter's faith was little, but Jesus' faithfulness is great. Peter might have panicked and doubted, but Jesus never doubted Peter's sincerity. Peter might have taken his eyes off Jesus, but Jesus never took his eyes off Peter. And I want you to notice something here. Jesus could have just miraculously caused Peter to float back again, for it was with the help of Jesus he was walking on water in the first place. But instead, Jesus reaches out his own hand and took hold of Peter. This is a personal act of deliverance. Peter was that moment saved from the wind and the waves because Jesus himself stretched out his hand to save him. 
tell you what an unforgettable moment that would have been in Peter's life, something that was etched forever in his memory. Anyone who has experienced God's personal deliverance knows what I'm talking about here. When we feel like we are sinking in life, when we don't know what the next step even looks like, when we are paralyzed by our fears and our faith is little, Jesus does not stand at a safe distance with his hands just folded, but he reaches out to us with his own hands. Personally, he lifts us up from the miry clay. And those are the moments in life when we are reminded that we have a personal Savior by our side. Author Max Lucado points out, when you recognize God as creator, you will admire him. When you recognize his wisdom, you will learn from him. When you discover his strength, you will rely on him. But only when he saves you, you will worship him. And see what happens next as the purpose of this entire trial unfolds in verses 32 and 33. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Do you know that this is the very first time the disciples made this confession as a group? The father had called Jesus as the son. Even the demons addressed him as the son of God. But the disciples now come to this understanding of Jesus' identity and start worshiping him. For these Jewish boys to bow down to someone in worship was preposterous because it's been ingrained in their mind that worship belongs to God alone. And this entire episode was orchestrated by Jesus to stretch the disciples, to expand their thinking, to give them this revelation of his identity that Jesus is worthy of worship. I tell you, after you've gone through your personal storms, you will have a revelation of God like never before. After you've gone through a fiery trial, your worship will never be the same. For it is through the storms we see God, not just what he can do, but who he really is. Let me say this in closing. You may be sitting there wondering, why would God send me into a storm in order to build my faith. Isn't that cruel? What if the storms have the better of me? What if I sink and drown in the water? There's a tribe of Native Americans who had a unique practice of training their boys to become brave. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, he was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. 
Until this time, the boy had been living in the security of his home with his tribe. But on this night, he would be stretched. They'd put on a blindfold and take him miles away from home. And when the boy finally takes off the blindfold, he realizes he's in the middle of thick woods, all by himself, all night long. Every time a twig snapped, he probably visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. Every time an animal howled, he imagined a wolf leaping out of the darkness. Every time the wind blew, he feared the worst and panicked. It was a terrifying night. And after what it seemed like an eternity, the first ray of sunlight appears and enters into the interior of the forest. This boy can finally see. And he looks around and he sees familiar things. Plants and flowers, trees and birds. And then to his utter astonishment, he notices the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. This man is the boy's father. He'd been there all night watching over his son. And no one dare lay hands on his boy. Oh yes, God sometimes allows us to enter a storm. But you and I are safe because he never sends you alone. His presence is always with you. And that's why we know the storm will not have the better of you because his eyes are fixed on you. And Jesus will use this very storm that you are going through to reveal himself to you like never before, to strengthen your faith and trust, to deepen your worship. Your faith Maybe little, but great is his faithfulness. And that's what we celebrate. I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we come to an end. Some of you, you're going through a personal storm in your life, and you have the same question, why would God send you into a storm? I want you to know that God is watching over you. He's not unaware of what you're experiencing. In this very situation, God is going to use to cause your faith to arise. So let's maintain a moment of silence and just refocus our minds and allow God to speak to us and give us this vision of who He is because faith is always a response to God's character. So let's maintain a moment of silence in the stillness, allow God to speak to you through His still small voice and then I'll close us in prayer.
Father, as we come before your presence, we realize who we are standing before. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You hold our lives in the palm of your hand. You are the Lord of the storm. You are the one who marches over the waves. I pray for every person here who's going through a storm right now. God, would you open their eyes to see you for who you are. And this vision will serve to calm the internal storms. That you will take away the fear, the surging anxiety, the debilitating depression. We pray that, Lord, you will fill in turn with your joy, your peace, your strength, and your assurance. God, that even in the midst of the storm, we will learn to lean on you, on your everlasting arms, because you are trustworthy. You are dependable. You are the God who has never left us or forsaken us. We hold on to you and your promises, Jesus. So come and minister your peace to every hurting heart. May we feel the stillness that comes from knowing you and abiding in you. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. 